Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that's all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. And you can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 188 of the show. And you guys, we are having so much fun getting to know all of you and what you are awesome at knowing how to do this year. We really want to get as many people in on our awesome revolution as possible. And a super easy way to do that is taking a moment to rate and review Sorta Awesome in Apple Podcasts. In fact, I kind of have a crazy idea that I'm wondering if you guys can help make happen. Right now, Sorta Awesome has just over 300 reviews in Apple Podcasts. I'm wondering if we could make it to 500 reviews before the middle of April when we celebrate four years of Sorta Awesome. It's kind of crazy, but I think we can do it. It would be such a great gift to the show, to our community, and to me, honestly. (laughs) So if you love the work we're doing at Sorta Awesome, and if our show and our community has brought something great to your life, would you take just a minute, go over to Apple Podcasts. Just as a reminder, that's the app formerly known as iTunes on your phone. Leave us a quick and awesome review. It really does help other people find our show and tap into the awesome that we're putting out into the world. So let's see if we can do this. Let's see if we can get to 500 reviews in Apple Podcasts in the next few weeks. Okay, you guys, this is episode 188 of Sword Awesome. I'm joined by my dear friend, my longtime co-host and everyone's favorite big sister, Kelly Gordon. Kelly, hello. How are you? Hi, Meg. I'm good. Hey, Awesomes. Well, I'm so thankful you're taking time out of your very fancy, very awesome job as a public radio producer to talk about something that we both actually have big feelings about. And that is the idea of making homemaking a little bit more awesome. Yep. We're going to talk about how we each have really, I think we could say complicated histories. (laughs) That would be saying it. That's like an understatement, I think. But yes, (laughs) to sum up, complicated is a good word. Complicated, complex histories with this idea and even just like the label, the word homemaking. We're going to talk a little bit about the women and the movements that changed our minds. And plus, we're going to share some of our own homemaking strengths We're going to get to all of that in just a minute, but first, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week. This is the moment in the show where we share with you all the Awesomes about the books, the TV shows, movies, podcasts, products, whatever it is, it's making life a little bit more amazing right now. So Kelly, I can't wait to hear what you have for us this week. Well, I have something that I actually found because of Sorta Awesome. Oh, nice. It is a teeth aligner called Candid Co. Yes. So yeah, you, I'm sure you remember, we remember because they were a sponsor on the show last year and that was where I first heard about them. So longtime listeners may remember hearing their ads. You guys, I have thought about those clear aligners ever since Invisalign came on the picture, whenever that was, I mean, many years ago, because as a teenager, my teeth weren't super crooked 
And I think especially back in the 80s, it wasn't just this assumed. It feels like today, almost everybody has orthodontia in middle school. And back then, I feel like it wasn't this just everybody's going to do this. So when I was at that stage where maybe if I was going to get braces, I would get braces, which to be clear, when I was a little kid, like upper elementary, I thought braces were the coolest thing ever. I mean, let's all pause and remember. (laughs) Did you do this? No, wait, remember the story I told on this show, my awkward thing of wearing my, not just braces, but my headgear to school because I... yes. Was so cool. So yes, Kelly, I'm totally feeling you on how yes, cool see. braces are. <laughs> My friends and I would take paper clips on the bus and unbend them and bend them to be a little half circle that we could fit over our teeth. Then we would try to talk with them in. Of course, they're constantly cutting up our gums, but we just wanted to look cool. We wanted to look like a teenager. Yes. So that was where I was coming from. But of course, my parents talked to the dentist. And the dentist said, you know. He said, if she were a hockey player, I wouldn't even think about it because she's going to get her teeth knocked out. <laughs> that is so funny. This is the thing that Minnesota dentists think about. But he's like, so maybe, you know, if you want to. My parents were like, yeah, no, thank you. We don't want to spend the money on that. Yeah. So, you know, end of story. So here I am as I get older. You guys, I think this is probably true for everybody, but my teeth, you know, they continue to move. It's not like you reach age 20 and your teeth are fixed. Yeah. So they've can continued to kind of start to overlap, but especially on the bottom, you know, just. It's been something that I've been thinking about. So I have been thinking about clear liners. When I looked into the price at my kid's orthodontist, whom I love, but I said, hey, if I was going to do this, how much would it be? It was about $5,000. Okay. So that's a lot of money to pay out of pocket yeah. for something that is kind of just mostly vanity for me at sure. this point, just because I'm like, I want to. Yeah. So here comes Candid Co. And when they advertised on sort of awesome response to the show, I went and looked it up. And you guys, it's about $2,000 Oh wow! for them. Yeah. So that's a big drop down from Invisalign. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to give them a try. So they are just like a lot of these kits anymore. It's something that comes in the mail. You're going to goo up your teeth at home. And in fact, I think last summer I even did some stories. Maybe we can go back and see in a sort of awesome account that showed me yes. <laughs> trying to make the aligner models for my teeth, mm-hmm. but they send you that kit. You do pay like $95 for that as a deposit, if you will. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and then everything else is free. If you decide, I think either not to move forward, or if you're not a good candidate for this kind of orthodontia, mm-hmm. I think you get that money back. Oh, I'm not sure if you just decide you don't want to do it. Maybe you don't, but okay. for sure the money goes toward the cost of that $2,000 okay. that you're going to pay overall. So we went back and forth. There was like a delay. But I have now been wearing my aligners since I would say December-ish. I'm really starting to see my teeth move. And here's the real reason they're my awesome of the week, you guys. Not only is it great for adults and it's great because they're clear, they can come in and out, you know, I can take them out to eat. They don't cost as much money as other options. But this is what I would do as I'm going to do moving forward. This is a real option for teenagers, not only when they're teenagers. An orthodontist might look at them and say, well, they have some issues here, but it's not serious structural sorts of issues. It's not jaw issues. It's like teeth alignment issues, right? Yeah. Which are more cosmetic. I would say to my teenager, if they are like, I don't want to do this right now, Mm -hmm. then you know what? I'm not gonna, you can pay for it when you're an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is going to become more and more common that adults are doing this. Yes, absolutely. It's not going to be awkward. It's not going to be, well, if you don't do this now, you're going to be that 28 year old with braces. Do you really want that to happen to you? I just think that it's going to become so much more common that adults are going to be dealing with aligners and 
it's not invasive. It doesn't feel like it's something in your teeth. It's not a demarcation that you're an adolescent, mm-hmm. like the metal braces right. are. So I have a 15 year old who has some sensitivity. He has braces right now. We are at least a year into it. You guys, I regret, I regret putting braces on this child. It has been a fight. We have issues of whether he's brushing his teeth well enough. And it's mostly just to make his teeth straight. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if I could do this all, plus I think for kids who have sensitivity, if they're highly sensitive kids and has some sensory issues, you know, you can't take those metal braces off, but a liner you can take out for a few minutes and get a little bit of relief. Yeah. And so I have said to my husband, I can really feel that when my teeth are really hurting, even taking them out to brush my teeth, there's like a mental space. I don't feel trapped. Like I feel claustrophobic sometimes, but I can take it out. So I'm like, these kids who feel that way, your teeth are hurting and you cannot remove it. Yeah. And my son has said that. He's like, I would rip these out of my head if I could. Mm. That's how he feels. So to even be able to take them off for five minutes, for an hour while you eat dinner, and then put them back on, it changes the mental game. Yeah. So I just think, wow, what a day and age we live in. I know. That we have all of these options. So it's not only a great option for you, you guys, if it's something that you wanted to be looking at. Of course, I'll do some stories this week. You can see where I started and where I am here mid-process. But I really think if you have teenagers or you're going to have teenagers and they don't have something that's bigger, because I'm not sure this is going to fix jaw issues, you know, they probably might not even be a candidate for that sort of thing. But this could be an option for your kids that if you don't want to deal with it right now, you don't have the money now, they can deal with it when they're older. I like that. That is so good to know, really. And I do think you're absolutely right. All of these things where like, the service comes to you, this is definitely the way our culture is heading for sure. So yeah. Right. And since they're clear and you can take them out, you know, I just don't think it's a big deal. No one in my life has looked at me and said, do you have a liner? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because they're just very unobtrusive. So I think it's going to be so easy. You're not dooming your child to be a dork. Yeah. If you say, yeah, I'm not going to do that right now. We're just not going to fight that battle. <laughs> Such a good perspective. Love it. So we'll have a link to Candid Co. in the show notes for you. Absolutely. To check out if you're interested. What's yours? Yeah. So my Awesome of the Week this week is a new four-part documentary series on HBO called The Case Against Adnan Syed. So here is what we have. If you have been a part of our culture for the past few years... <laughs> You know, the podcast culture, (laughs) the podcast culture, and even larger culture, I think even non-podcast listeners know a little bit about the case involving Adnan Sayed, who was in 1999 convicted of the murder of his former girlfriend, Heyman Lee. This whole case was covered by Sarah Koenig on the first season of Serial, which dropped in 2014, really became a surprise phenomenon that dug into the whole case and kind of treated it as an unsolved riddle spurred on by a woman named Rabia Chaudhry, who is a family friend of Adnan's family. So she had come to, you know, Sarah Koenig and really had wanted to reach out to the media because Rabia and other family and friends are convinced, as Adnan has said from the beginning, that he is innocent of this murder. So it becomes this whole phenomenon in our culture. And now Amy Berg, who's an Oscar-nominated documentarian, has taken up making this four-part documentary series for HBO. She's been working on it for years. And it's really like, I guess you could say it's an expansion of what we learned as listeners in the Serial podcast. Interesting. Okay. So they're telling it in four parts. As of this week, there's two parts of it out. 
I have to say, I'm really into it. The first part, I think the first episode of it is so notable because for the first time, you really see the people who are involved in this whole case. It's that really bizarre feeling that I'm sure all of us have when you're so used to something just being like in your head because you're listening to it in a podcast. And then you see the visual of it and you're like, it's like so jarring and weird. And you're like, I did. This is weird. And now we're seeing them. You're used to hearing their voices, but then you're seeing them on the screen. But actually, I think it's kind of nice after you get over that initial, oh, it's like, oh, there's my friend, you know, like the person that you're used to hearing about and hearing from. I don't know. It feels like it's completion to me. Like when you have those visuals that go together with the audio that I know so well. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's definitely true. I think another thing that's very notable and so great about the first episode is we get a lot more from Heyman Lee herself, the high school senior who was murdered. I think there's always this tension in true crime about how much and how little is centered on the victim because very little actually is. And that was one of my biggest problems with Serial before I listened to it was I just felt like it was so exploitative of her murder. And I feel like it's kind of a problematic area for a lot of people when it comes to true crime is that it becomes so much about the perpetrator or the accused and so little about the victim. But in the first part of this documentary, they really bring Hay to life. They do some really unconventional things with animation. There's a voiceover with someone reading from her diary. I feel like we get this really much more filled out picture of who Heyman Lee was. And I so appreciated that. And, you know, it kind of goes in the second episode, we hear from Asia McLean, who famously had an alibi that she had tried to reach out to Adnan's family with. The defense team never followed up with her. That was like one of the biggest reasons that he was making appeal was that there was this alibi that was never brought to court. We hear more from Rabia Chaudhry herself, the family friend who's been trying to get justice for Adnan all these years. So Again, it takes all of these threads from what we knew based on the serial coverage of it and really like blows it out into bigger parts of the story. You get such a more 3D feel to the story of Adnan Sayed and what happened to Heyman Lee, possibly, and what has happened in his case in all of these years since then. I mean, I will say it's a little bit controversial. There's definitely a mix of documentary aesthetic and style. Again, doing some more high style things like the animation and some of the sound effects and stuff. So I will say too, if you are the kind of person who spent a lot of time sleuthing out on the internet, (laughs) all of these different people in like down the Reddit rabbit trail, a lot of this has been expanded on the internet already. That's what I'm trying to say. And so if you listened to Serial and got really into that, you are not going to learn anything new from this documentary. But if you're like me, you listen to it one time, found it to be a very fascinating case with really interesting storytelling, but you haven't really thought about everything that has happened since then, I think you will find it as awesome as I have so far. So like I said, it's on HBO. We have like an HBO subscription just through Prime. Yeah. It's like $14 a month or something, which lets us get in on all of that good HBO content without having the full, you know, cable set up, whatever. So anyway, I'll leave a link in the show notes if you are interested in checking this out. Because it's really, it's super interesting and I think really well done. Yeah. And how many episodes are there total? There's four total. Okay. And as of this week, two of them are out. Right. So, and they're about an hour each. So it would make for a great short binge for sure. Well, those are our awesomes of the week this week, you guys. We always want to hear what is awesome in your life. So 
Just as a reminder, every Friday morning over on Instagram, we are asking you about your awesome of the week. You can find us over there at Sword of Awesome Show and in our Facebook hangout group where we've been doing this for years and years now. You can come and join us there. We always have an awesome of the week thread every single Friday. If you haven't joined our community on Facebook, we would love to have you. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash sort of awesome hangout. Hi, awesomes. Right now, I am giving you permission to give yourself an extra boost this season, whether you're looking for more energy, better sleep to maintain stress or something else to help you feel your healthiest. You can find all of that with Care Of. Care Of is a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. You start with Care Of's fun online quiz that asks you about your diet, your health goals, your lifestyle choices. It only takes five minutes to find out your personal scientifically backed vitamin and supplement recommendations. We all know it can be really hard to know what vitamins or supplements you should be taking, but Care Of makes it easy to find out what you specifically need to be your healthiest. Plus, Care Of's delicious nutrient-packed quick stick powders can be added to your monthly order for an easy extra boost whenever you need it. I've taken a lot of different prenatal vitamins through the years, but the prenatals from Care Of are some of my favorites I've ever taken. They supply everything I need as a supplement, and they're so easy on the stomach. They don't make me sick at all. I love that Care of knew that I needed a little calcium supplement this pregnancy too, and that's in my personalized individual pack for every day as well. So for 50% off of your first month of personalized Care of vitamins, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code AWESOME50. That's going to get you 50% off of your first month of personalized Care of vitamins when you go to CareOf.com and enter AWESOME, the number 5050. Thank you, Care of. Awesomes, when it's time to make a hire for your small business, naturally you want to find the most awesome person for the job. Odds are that that person is on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard skills and soft skills to match you with people who fit your role the best. People come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers, so LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and what they're looking for. Which means when you use LinkedIn Jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on so much more than a resume. Your LinkedIn Jobs matches are based on skills and background, sure, but also interests, activities, and passions. Matching lets you quickly get a group of the most relevant qualified candidates for your role. That way you can focus on the candidates you want to spend time talking to and make a quality hire you're excited about. Customers rank LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires. So post a job today at linkedin.com slash awesome and get $50 off of your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash awesome. Terms and conditions do apply. Okay, like I said at the top of the show, we are talking about homemaking today. And I just, I'm going to say the word homemaking. And I just want you to sit with that word for a minute. <laughs> homemaking. Because I know it's a loaded word. Don't you think, Kelly? It is a loaded word. <laughs> yes. In fact, saying it makes me want to squirm. Even though I know where we're going with our show today. Yes. Just hearing it, it makes me, oh, you guys, I kind of want to roll my eyes. And yeah, it's just because it's a loaded term. Yeah. Well, I think it has a lot of meaning for us. And for some of us, it may come with a lot of baggage. But I do want to say, first of all, this episode is absolutely for everyone, whether you are single, you're married, maybe you're an empty nester, maybe you have like tons of little kids running around at your feet right now in this very minute. 
it really is for everyone because what we really want to talk about when we talk about bringing the awesome back to the whole philosophy of homemaking is that we're talking about the ways that we make home for ourselves. Every single one of us have a home, whether it is a starter apartment and you're fresh out of college, or if you're finally in your dream house that you've been planning for this whole time, you have a home. And that's what we want to focus on. But to go back to what Kelly was saying, Kelly, I think you and I specifically have an interesting history with the word homemaking and the idea of being a homemaker because we grew up, both of us, we've talked about this before, we're both the oldest of four children. We both had moms who were stay-at-home moms and we grew up in a sort of a thread of Christianity that was pretty conservative-minded and maybe really informed the choices that our parents made about some of these roles when it comes to home and who does the homemaking and those types of things. So anyway, let's start with your history and then I'll kind of follow up with how we have some shared experience in this area. Yeah, you really said it. And I feel like longtime listeners might be like, oh yeah, I, I kind of know some of these stories. Yeah, I did grow up with a wonderful stay-at-home mom who really, even though her education and she did work for a couple of years in nursing, that was her background. When she got married and then pretty quickly got pregnant with me, she quit and never looked back. Her life goal was to be a mom and a wife and a homemaker in that sense. So of course, then I grew up seeing all of that. And I think just because of whatever, mother-daughter relationships, different personalities, the only way I could see or envision going forward and being a homemaker, much less a wife or mother, was the way my mom was doing it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I wanted different things. And so there was kind of this pushback for me. Like, I don't want to do any of that then. If I want to have a career and I'm really interested in these things over here. So I didn't see a way to combine the two because of partly, I think some of it, my mom did it so well and it was so all encompassing into her. There was no greater thing. So I just was like, well, if that's your only thing, I don't see a way to merge these worlds. So I would say, Entered my 20s. I did want to get married because I wanted to have sex. <laughs> Not because I wanted to make a home. Let's just be clear. Oh my gosh, I was unprepared for that. <laughs> Sorry. We should have put a warning for all the little kids in the car. Hopefully. <laughs> really, that was not on my radar. Like the idea of making a home. It just wasn't something that I cared about. It wasn't something that I had invested in until something changed. Yeah. So maybe we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Tell me your history. Well, it's very much the same in the sense that I grew up with a mom who is a registered nurse, had gone to school and gotten her degree and all of her training in nursing. She worked full-time to put my dad through dental school. And really the big change for her came when I was two years old. She was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And so really from the time she started having children in our family, there were four kids born in six years. So it was like pretty much all the kids happening all at once there. But also she really had some health concerns that kind of kept her from going back to work. Mm -hmm. Also, my youngest sister is somebody who is on the autism spectrum. They didn't really know much about that then, but my parents obviously knew they had a child with special needs. And that really became, I mean, between actually caring for my sister and being an advocate for her and all of the things that go along with parenting someone with special needs, that really became a pretty big job of hers as well. But Kelly, I can remember being at either 
you know, doctor's offices or school enrollment or whatever. And I would watch my mom fill out these forms. A huge part of parenting is filling out forms and paperwork, right? Yep. <laughs> and I can remember in the space for occupation where there'd be a blank for the mother's occupation, she would write homemaker. And I remember this is completely self-induced reaction. There was no outside messaging that made me feel this way. But I remember just like cringing and like being so embarrassed that my mom was writing in homemaker for her occupation. I feel so terrible saying that. I'm just telling you guys, this is like sixth grade, Meg. Right. She's the one that was <laughs> wearing the headgear to school. She had a lot of problems, but <laughs> it's not our best moment. We all hope it's not our best moment for sure. But it was a time when I would look around at my friends, my peers, almost none of my friends' moms were stay-at-home moms. They were teachers or they worked in retail. Some of them were professionals. And this was a time, and again, maybe very just Maybe it was really unique to the part of the country we lived in at the time. But in the 80s and, you know, going on into the 90s, it was just so unusual for any of my friends to have a mom who was a full-time stay-at-home mom. And so I can just remember feeling some sense of like just a little bit of embarrassment about that. And I carried that forward for some time in life. And then, like I said, I think both of us kind of had these moments where we really there are other women who came into our lives via the broader culture and kind of helped us reshape and reframe and rethink our thoughts about the whole philosophy and the art, really, of homemaking. So, Kelly, I know that there is one woman who was really instrumental in your life in this way. There was. You guys, I'm almost embarrassed to say that it was Martha Stewart yeah. who really came in in the late 90s. When her TV show was on, I was working and kind of weird hours. Lots of times I would be home in that kind of, at least in San Diego at the time, it was, I think, around 11 o'clock, 11 a.m. So kind of that very stay-at-home mom part of the TV schedule. But I was often home because I would go to work later. And so I would watch Martha Stewart. And at first, it just kind of probably came on after the morning news show or whatever. And so it stayed on. But what I started to see was a woman who was doing things very similar to what my mom had done, but she was doing them because she could, because she could make them into something truly almost art. She was embracing all of these things, even taking it a step beyond I had ever seen, you know, where she was growing her own vegetables and, you know, grinding her own wheat, you know, that sort of a thing, all the things that can go into homemaking that I had not seen. And I started to see that this was a woman who was successful, no longer married, so not making a home for husband and children, you know, not doing it in kind of sometimes I think homemaking had this connotation of like, this is your place, woman. Mm -hmm. And this woman had no reason to be in that place. She didn't have a man that she was answering to. She was doing it for the sheer love of it. And she was making money at it. Yeah. She was doing a fantastic job and not being embarrassed by it, which I think for me, it felt very, like you said, you know, there's this Almost a feeling that, again, I put on it that was kind of shameful. Yeah. Like, oh, that's the best you can do. And so I think that began my journey, kind of a change into saying, there are some things here that I actually really do enjoy and that I do want to create. And in fact, it was at that point that I and my husband, as we were talking, I was working a lot of hours. We were working different hours. We were growing very apart. And I said, you know, I think I want to leave TV news 
and do something different. And you know what I would really like is to work part-time so that I can be at home part of the time dealing with some of these things that go into making a home. And I didn't even have words for it back then, you guys, because part of me was so embarrassed by it. But there was another part of me that, because we didn't have kids, we didn't even have kids in our immediate future. It wasn't something we were thinking like, well, I should quit to be home with the baby. I was like, I think I just want to be able to grocery shop and not on the weekends and get the cleaning done and the laundry done so that when the weekend does come, we can enjoy being together. Mm -hmm. So even back then, we started to kind of value that. And I started to want to create that. I had this thing that sprung up inside of me and I was no longer willing to deny it and say that this matters. And really where I have come since then is to say, and I know the idea of Martha Stewart as a feminist is very controversial, depending on who you want to listen to. But what she did for me, at least, is helped to reinforce budding feminism in my Mm. life to say, you know what? You know why I was ashamed of that work was because it's woman's Mm -hmm. work and our culture doesn't value that. So I wasn't valuing that. I was saying this doesn't matter. Why are you wasting your time? Instead of saying, why doesn't it matter? It does matter. And why does our culture say that? Well, because traditionally women have done it. So I think where I am now is I feel a little bit of a fierceness with this and say, you know, really homemaking is women saying we can do what we want. We can do what matters. And this also matters. And just because it has traditionally been something that women have done doesn't make it not valuable, doesn't mean that it doesn't contribute to the world, even if I'm not getting paid. There is so much good work that is being done, often behind the scenes, and it's devalued, and I'm just not willing to be a part of that anymore. Yeah. Wow. Dang. There's my screen. I was going to say, should we just end the episode there? (laughs) (laughs) Hang on while I step off my soapbox and you can tell me your background. I think you have said all of the things that we need to say. That's so good. That is so good. And I do think that just this concept of like, this work doesn't matter. It is very entangled in the idea that it's women's work. But I also think that there is kind of a turning of the tide. You know, this whole obsession that we all had for a few years with Huga and this concept of togetherness and coziness and comfort, I think is more and more people are really working on self-work, self-awareness, kind of like tapping into what do I really want out of life that a lot of people are kind of waking up to this pull towards having a home base that is comforting, that is nurturing and nourishing and has really expanded our idea of what it means to do homemaking. So yeah, I'm super a thousand percent agreeing with everything you said. My transition did not come via Martha Stewart. Although can I say, I was so not surprised that this is who really spoke to you because I don't know if you've ever realized She's heavily influenced your cooking philosophy and food and recipes and all of this. Right. (laughs) I mean, everyday food is just like a Bible in my kitchen. Yes. And honestly, you could trace back our move back to Minnesota because I remember this. One of her shows, you know, they would end while they would roll the credits with different pastoral scenes or whatever, you know, just like fades. And there was a time that it was a winter scene. And I have this so clearly. In fact, I'm going to go back and see if I can find it on YouTube somewhere. Where it was, I think her home at the time, Turkey Hill, which is somewhere in Connecticut, I think. And it was a winter day, gray. Everything is like muted colors. You know, it's like gray and white and green. And 
there was already snow on the ground and it was snowing Mm -hmm. as they were filming. So everything is kind of tucked away. You know, the trees that are wrapped are wrapped and the garden looks quiet and snow covered and hushed. They would just fade from one scene to the other. And I was in San Diego in like sitting in my pool. It was very different than that. And there was something about that scene that spoke to me that said home Mm -hmm. and seasons and like a season of rest, which was so anathema to what I was doing at the time. And so it really, I can't even say how much it stuck in me and just ever so slightly shifted me to where we actually moved back to Minnesota away from San Diego, which is insanity. I understand that. But because of that seed, I was like, I want that. Yeah. I want there to be seasons. I want there to be this value of slowing down and appreciating what really matters. I guess I should write a book like How Martha Stewart Changed Me. (laughs) I would read that book, every single word of it, (laughs) for sure. Well, everything that you're saying really connects to the woman that came into my life via her mission and message and helped me to think about things differently and really had a profound effect for a number of years on how I saw homemaking. Her name's Shannon Hayes. And back in 2010, so gosh, it's been almost 20 years since this book came out. She wrote a book called Radical Homemakers, Reclaiming Domesticity from a Consumer Culture. And her whole idea was, first of all, that it wasn't really until the Industrial Revolution that the household and the running of the home was considered women's work or the women's domain. Because prior to that time, men and women lived really together and participated together in living off the land. Right. You know, of course, depending on geographically and what era and culture we're talking about, that would be, you know, that's painting with really broad strokes. But it was the idea that this was family and that we were a team and that we worked together and we you know, really found our own resources and made things work together. And then when the Industrial Revolution came along and lots of men were leaving home to go work for wages, then there was this shift towards having to bring in more commercial goods to replace what the husband would have brought to the sort of collective table, I guess you could say, for the home. And so over time, there's this diminishing of the esteem given to women's work. And at the same time, this greater sort of need for an attachment to what we can buy instead of what we can create for ourselves. Yep. And so her whole thesis, I guess you could say, in Radical Homemakers was this idea that we can reclaim homemaking really as like a political act. Yes. Which is really radical when you think about it. <laughs> This idea that we could bring back, kind of recenter our families, our relationships, our lives around coming back to the home, not out of a sense of like, this is what's expected of you. But again, that sort of feminist idea of making the choice and being able to see things, the art and philosophy of homemaking in a way that is one of personal fulfillment. And also taking an active part in whatever cultural changes that you're wanting to see. So this came into my life at a time when I was like at really at the height of my sort of crunchy blogging and view on life. Like I was ready to pack up and move to a homestead and live off the land and have goats and chickens and all the things. And Kyle would be like, Kyle, my INTJ, Enneagram 5 husband would be like, um, hold up. (laughs) Because he grew up with parents who 
literally grew up on the farm. He had visited his grandparents' farm. He was like, do you know what actual living on a farm is like? When you go to gather the eggs and there's a snake in the hen house. <laughs> He's bringing a little touch of reality. Yeah, exactly. He was like, do you know what goat poop is like to step in? You know, <laughs> bringing all of this in. So I was like, okay, maybe I'm not meant for homesteading because some of that, frankly, does not sound very fulfilling. <laughs> but it launched an era in my life where I really moved towards a lot of like natural health and healing type things, hmm. making home remedies and making, you know, things from scratch for my family. I grew up with a stay-at-home mom, but again, one who had health issues going on. We had a lot of dynamics happening in our family to where I didn't really learn to cook. I learned how to like make hamburger helper and fish sticks. And no one ever really taught me how to like cook from scratch. So this was an era when I started making bread from scratch and I would drive out to a farm outside of town to buy raw milk and fresh eggs and just really try to kind of connect with this idea of nourishing, nurturing approach to raising my family. Now, I will say some of that has ebbed and flowed through the years. <laughs> the thing that stuck with me through all of these years is this idea of finding, truly seeking out and finding fulfillment in the art of homemaking. And she says something that I think is so important in Radical Homemakers is she talks about that we can make effective change, not only in the lives of our family, but in the culture at large, as we begin to move toward what we love. So she really offered that as advice because it could be very overwhelming to be like, how am I going to live out this radical philosophy of homemaking? Like it's very overwhelming. Right. So she really encourages people to start with what you love and really move toward that. And that one philosophy, that one concept, I mean, it's kind of an awesome philosophy in disguise. <laughs> no, it really is. I think that's why this is such a perfect topic for the awesomes because yeah. you don't have to do it all. And I think that there are some of us, personality type probably matters here, where we see something and we go, that's such a great idea. And we are ready to move to the homestead. And then if that becomes not feasible, we think, well, then what's the point? How do yes, I even begin? Exactly. So yes. a toehold, somebody who says you can do this. Right. And it's something. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So that idea, move toward what you love, has really profoundly changed my views on homemaking for sure. So yeah, we both, I think, have had some pretty strong influences come into our lives to help us maybe shake loose a little bit of the baggage that we brought to our adult lives when it came to being homemakers and what that meant. So we thought it would be fun just to share with you all what this has looked like in our lives. Of course, this is never meant to be prescriptive. This is not like, right. now take up our cause and do this. No, this is just us, two women who have had to overcome some emotional, mental hurdles to getting to this place. But this is what it looks like in our lives right now, which probably does look very different from what it will look like 10 years ago and what it might look like 10 years from now. But here we are. These are some things that we're doing homemaking wise that we feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually doing pretty well with this. Right. Which I think is actually another awesome philosophy that we have for the awesomes, which is to say, you know what? Don't play down what you do well. Right. I think women do that. I think that we're tempted to do it like, oh, it doesn't, especially if it's homemaking, mm -hmm. like, oh, it doesn't really matter. Right. You know, it's not like I have a job. It's not like I'm getting paid. No, no, no. We're going to embrace these things and we're going to have you in the hangout this week 
rise up and say, this is what I can do. And again, if you're like, you know what? Homemaking is at the very bottom of anything. Like I can blow my nose better than I can make my home. Okay, that's fine. We're not telling you, you have to find something. That's fine too. That's the great thing about living today. You get to have a choice. Yeah. But if there's something in your life that you're like, dang it, I do this well, but I don't really even know who I can tell about it. Mm-hmm. We're going to be the place where you can say, this is what I do. Yeah. Awesome. Here we are. Spring has sprung. So here's your friendly reminder that you've been meaning to grab some workout gear that you actually feel good in and that gets you excited about staying active to meet your fitness goals. It's so easy to do with Fabletics. Fabletics is a fashion-focused activewear brand with a mission to empower women by making a healthy, active lifestyle accessible to everyone because of their excellent price point. Whether this spring means training for a big run or finally signing up for that Pilates class or heading out for hikes with your family, Fabletics has you covered. They carry gymwear suitable for any type of workout. Fabletics is your one-stop shop for affordable gymwear and all their designs are totally unique. Fabletics wants to show you awesomes that awesome love, so they are offering you two leggings for only $24. That's a $99 value when you sign up as a VIP. Just go to fabletics.com awesome to take advantage of this deal now. That's two leggings for $24 and free shipping on orders over $49. When you sign up as a VIP at fabletics.com awesome. You guys, their leggings are exactly what you need to get into the zone of being comfortable and cute, whether you're working out at home or working up a sweat at the gym. They're so stretchy, but they provide full coverage. They are not skimpy or see-through. I never thought I'd be a leggings girl, but I have super loved my leggings from Fabletics. And when you sign up as a VIP with Fabletics, you get 50% off of their regular pricing and instant access to their latest collections. Remember, there is no commitment to order on a regular basis. You can skip any month. So if you're ready to start this spring off right with trendy and affordable gym wear, you gotta go check out Fabletics. Trust me, you do not want to miss out on their very special offer of two leggings for $24 when you sign up as a VIP. All you gotta do is go to fabletics.com awesome to take advantage of this deal now. Fabletics.com awesome to get two leggings for $24, no commitment to purchase monthly, and free shipping on all orders over $49 at fabletics.com slash awesome. Terms and conditions do apply. Yeah. Okay. Let's hear something that you're doing really well right now. Okay. So this took me a while to even understand that it was a thing that other people struggle with, but what I'm really good at is meal planning mm-hmm. and cooking. So I obviously, any awesome who's listened knows that I love to cook. I'm always sharing recipes. It's just a thing that I totally enjoy. Initially, my mom did teach me to cook or she tried. I was having none of it. I was like, you know, just like, that's why they make prego. I don't need to learn to cook. We will eat out and we will be fine in our high powered jobs. You know, like I just, I didn't have any patience for it. So she tried and that was that. However, I did have her as a resource. Then once I finally said, maybe I do want to learn to cook. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do I even, you? I would call her all the time. How do I make mashed potatoes? How do I make hard boiled eggs? You know, like I did have a basic, I think, which cookbook is it? Either Better Homes and Garden or oh, the one that's like a red, red check white cover. Checked. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does have recipes in there. You guys, if you are starting at square one, it really does have in there like how to make baked potatoes or. You know, the stuff that I was like, I know I should just know this, but I don't. Mm -hmm. So starting back then, at least had a resource. But as I've gotten to care more and more and have really found that food is my 
art. It is where I relax. I actually, even though I'm working still now, I still make dinner for my family, mostly because I don't want to give that up. I would give up a lot of other things, but this is my joy. This is my fun time to sit down and cook. I love to provide that food for them. And I just love the experience of it. So meal planning to me has to go along with that, which is knowing what I'm going to make the next couple of days takes a lot of the stress out of it, I think, Mm, for mm -hmm. me. So I've gotten to the point where I do thus. I actually will take a notebook that opens, you know, it's a two-page notebook. I will on one side of my notebook write down a bunch of meals that I want to make in the next whatever, you know, so maybe I'll write down 10 meals. Mm -hmm. This is something I did pick up from my mom, which is silly. I don't think it really matters. But she was always like, well, I don't want to have chicken next to beef, like on the menu. I don't want to have two chickens next to each other. Yeah. Like I want to vary the protein. So I still kind of think about that, even though I think that if I made, you know, chicken tacos versus a baked chicken, I don't think anybody's like chicken again. It's not the same, but still I'll kind of divvy them up and then I can look at my week and say, okay, so what kind of week am I having here? Are there nights where I'm not going to be home till late or are there nights where people are going to be running in and out of the house? And so then I try to think about what meals will match up with what we're doing that day, because it used to be that I would just think of all these great meals and I would kind of haphazardly throw them on days. And hey, this great meal that I was excited to cook actually fell on a day when I didn't have time to cook it. And so then it was stressful and it wasn't the fun thing that I wanted it to be. So I'm like, oh, I need to look at my calendar more when I'm trying to meal plan and decide how I'm going to do this. So that's how I do it. I match it up. And now, especially because of working, what I really have to do is also be thinking about 24 hours in advance and say, okay, what am I making for dinner tomorrow night? What has to come out of the freezer tonight so that when I want to make it, you know, like there's like a back timing sort of thing that you have to do. But just starting with those meals that I want to make, and that's a great time if you're bored of what you're making to go to Pinterest, to pull your friends, find some new things that maybe just mixing in two or three new things that you might want to try, especially if you're like, you know what, I really need more slow cooker meals or Instapot meals. Because I can see that my, we're coming into spring sports season and I'm just never going to be home for dinner. Then go look for some, you know, ask people who are cooking with those appliances and then try some new things and then putting them on the days. It makes me feel so accomplished. Yeah. That's the one thing that I do every day for my family, but also for me. Like there are nights that my family has to be out. And I remember a couple of nights that I'm thinking of in the last few years where They didn't get home, but I still had food to make. And I was like, dang it, I'm making dinner for me. Yes. Like I'll put the rest of it in the oven maybe or in the fridge. They can eat it later. But I'm going to sit here with my glass of wine and a TV show and I'm going to still eat this good food. So that's why I don't think it has to be that, oh, you are responsible for feeding other people. Even if you're just feeding yourself, this can be something that can be really fun. And it's something that I just so enjoy. And I used to feel, I guess, because it was women's work, I felt a little embarrassed about it or I didn't talk about it too much, but here I am now to say meal planning is my jam. You know, for years, you and I have talked about like, is there a way that we can channel this talent and passion of yours into a thing like a podcast or something? Now you have a full-time job, so that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> Dang it all. <laughs> but I'm just like wondering, this has got my wheels turning again. I wonder if there's a way that we can really channel this because I'm just like, I will sit at your feet and learn, please. Yes. Teach me more. Because again, I did not grow up with this, but you have so much to offer here. I'm just, I don't know. Let's put a pin in that and maybe we'll come back to it for sure. 
And it's so interesting that you said this about cooking and the art of the actual preparation and all of that that goes into it. That is exactly how Kyle is. I've mentioned several times on the show that Kyle makes dinner for us almost every night. We do have the sort of privilege and luxury that he works from home. It's not always a luxury. (laughs) Sometimes it's quite challenging. I think you'd be the first to say that. And I know you have Corey at home and have had for a while. And so there's some adjustments to be made there. Absolutely true. But for him, it is so relaxing at the end of the day. And he's, again, he's an INTJ. He's in his head so much during the day with work. At the end of the day, when he comes down into the kitchen, that's like his creative time, truly. Yep. He's always been a very creative person, but he's also always been in actual professions where there's not a lot of creativity or a lot of room for flexibility. I mean, he's a financial advisor. You can't really get creative. Yeah. (laughs) Let me just try this with your buddy and let's see what happens. Exactly. But the creative part of cooking has become such an outlet for him. So I simply benefit from it and I'm not complaining at all. He's a really good right. cook. Something, what are you going to brag about? Well, here's my thing. This is so weird. And again, I do feel embarrassed saying this, but I really love and put a lot of thought and attention and care into doing laundry, <laughs> hey. which is like the antithesis, like the whole stereotypical thing about being a mom is that there's always more laundry to do and the curse of laundry. And that's true. I mean, we have a lot of kids and there is always a lot of laundry to do. But I really do find laundry, the whole process of it, to be very relaxing in a way and very cathartic. And I know we're talking a lot about the Enneagram or I am as always. (laughs) But I have to tell you, Kelly, I picked up this book by Beatrice Chestnut called The Complete Enneagram. 27 Paths to Greater Self-Knowledge. So Beatrice Chestnut is really one of the leading teachers of looking at the Enneagram. There's the nine numbers of the Enneagram, but then looking at the three sort of instinctual or subtypes within each number. That's why I picked up this book because I'm really interested to learn more about it. But she said something about nines. She just like says it in passing that I was like, oh my gosh, my whole life makes sense right now. She said, located at the top of the Enneagram, type nine belongs to the body-based triad associated with the core emotion of anger, which all nines are like, what? I'm never angry, but yeah, we have a problem there. (laughs) And a focus of attention related to order, structure, and control. And I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense for why I'm always trying to figure out systems for order and structure and control in my life, even though Nines are supposed to be so laid back and whatever. But as I was thinking about that in terms of laundry, I was like, okay, this makes sense because laundry has an order. It has a pattern. It has a routine. There are problems to solve. There is like, how am I going to get this stain out? I don't know if y'all remember, longtime awesomes will remember that one of my first awesomes of the week was a specific kind of stain treater that I had found. I remember it. (laughs) So dorky. But it's so true. I love that like little challenge of like, okay, we've got a tomato sauce stain. What are we going to do kind of thing? I'm actually even in Facebook groups that are devoted to better laundry. Like (gasps) there's one that I'm in that's called Laundry Love and Cleaning Science. (laughs) I did not even, that's so brilliant though. Of course there are Facebook groups about this sort of thing. Totally. so smart. Yeah. And I've learned so much from it. So anyway, I watch YouTube videos. It feels very fulfilling to me. And I'm always kind of like how we can tweak our laundry routines around here. For example, I know 
over the summer when I have the baby, I'm going to have another C-section. Our laundry is in our basement. So I'm already thinking ahead and planning. How can I make, how can I translate how I like laundry to be done to where Kyle and the girls can get laundry (laughs) done? How can I make peace with other people doing our yes, laundry? I think that's probably the answer is not that they're going to be able to do it the way you do it, but uh-huh. how do you get to the place where it's okay? Yes, it's a double-edged sword for sure. But I'm already like thinking about, okay, what if we got this kind of hamper and we did this and that? Like I put a lot of time into it, but not in a drudgery way. Yes. Like I am up for the challenge kind of thing. So anyway, laundry is definitely something that I really enjoy. It's very cathartic, getting everything cleaned, getting everything folded. There's an order. and I think. Maybe it's the chaos of family life can be overwhelming sometimes, but like laundry, you can bring under control. Right. So I like it. It isn't something you should be embarrassed about. I get it. I understand what you're saying. But at the same time, these are things that everybody has to do. Yeah. Maybe that's why it's so common. We think that it's not valuable or something. Yeah. Besides the fact, you know, women's work, all the stuff that we already said, but everybody has to do laundry. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody has to eat. These are things that everybody has to do. And so we shouldn't feel embarrassed. We're like, look, this is something that actually matters. You know, for example, like not to pick on Kyle, but if something happened to our world, my husband will sometimes say, this is why I say it. Who needs a financial planner? Mm -hmm. But someone is always going to be needed to cook. Yeah. And someone is always going to be needed to help get the laundry. Yeah. And somebody who can say, I can do this and I can do it well. Right. Thank you very much is important to our world. So we want to rise up and embrace these things. Totally, totally. What else are you doing well right now? I think really, I was trying to think of a way to capture the other thing that I think really it's just organization. Mm -hmm. And this is like one of those things that, again, it's very hard to prescribe, but I do not struggle with keeping on top of my family's schedules or the paperwork that comes in. Yeah, just that sort of thing. I can pretty effectively work my calendar and my to-do list so that things get done and the communication gets made and not too many things fall through the cracks. Nothing like obviously some things do, but I remember having a friend be like, well, we've all like had doctor's appointments that then we just don't show up to because we forget. And I was like, no, that would never happen to me. Like it's on my calendar. That's just something I can do. The cool thing about that is that it is a skill that you use in a lot of actual jobs where you do get paid. And so there's just a little side note that I want to put in here because I saw in the sort of awesome hangout, it pulled up in front of me. So I'm not going to remember the awesome's name, but she's somebody who has been at home for a number of years. And she was asking for help filling out her resume because she said, I have this big job gap. What do I put there? Mm -hmm. And I was so happy that the awesome said, Hey, you put, this is, I run a house. I manage these kids. I volunteer. I worked in this, you know, just because you're not getting paid for it doesn't mean that you are not developing and growing skills that are really important to all of life. You learn how to negotiate. You learn how to listen. You learn how to stay patient, all of these things. And so I feel like organizing and staying on top of my kids does come in handy in my job, but it was where I learned it first. Uh You know, to some degree, it's baby steps when you have multiples of children and the first one goes to school and you're like, it's not so bad. And then it starts to get more and more and more. Right. But that's just something that worked in my brain. So I can be organized with my home life. I love that. I am like so in nesting mode right now, getting ready for this baby. I'm like, we got to organize all the things. Everybody, it's time. Yeah. <laughs> Back up. Here's where we go. Yes. You thought Conmarie had a method. It is nothing compared to what mama has. Yes, exactly. 
My kids are like, this is the best spring break ever. We're organizing our closet. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing that I do think that I do well, and this isn't maybe directly a homemaking art. It's more of like a philosophy. But I have always genuinely promoted and tried to create in our home a home that is open to creativity and to creating. Mm. Way back in 2008, a book that really changed my whole view on this was a book by Amanda Blake Soul. She blogged for years, maybe is still blogging. I'm not sure. It's Soul Mama. Her last name is S-O-U-L-E. Her first book was called The Creative Family, How to Encourage Imagination and Nurture Family Connections. I read that it profoundly changed my whole view on living a creative life at home. And so Daisy was probably three, I guess, when that came out. Starting from that time, we have made it a priority. It's a huge, huge value of mine for my kids to have access to ways to be creative. So everything from having easy access to crayons and markers and paper to make your own Play-Doh. Now, you know, it's make your own slime, which is not my favorite. We have very strict rules about making your own slime, but it's part of creative living sometimes. To, you know, keeping a well-stocked costume and imaginative play closet. And all of these things were so important when my girls were little and have continued to be through the years. And now I'm genuinely seeing the fruit of that. And that my oldest daughter not only has played an instrument since she was in third grade, but now she is composing her own music. And you guys, one of her compositions is going to be performed by the Oklahoma City Philharmonic this coming fall. So that's amazing. Yes, we're like freaking out. We're seeing the fruits of all of this emphasis on living creatively come into play. My younger daughter is really discovering and growing into like the traditional visual arts, drawing and painting and really wants to emphasize that in her classes as she's going forward. I see it in the twins who just today went in their room and found some random things and made a pretend TV. And they have spent the whole morning creating TV shows out of this pretend TV that they made in their room. I mean, I know this is the stuff of childhood, but I think for me, I really try to honor that because it can be messy. It can be chaotic. It doesn't fit the order that I like to see, like, for example, in our laundry routines, but it's also a really strong value of mine. So kind of pushing past, okay, we're all going to have to get in here and clean up this mess now, or it's time to put everything back into the dress up closet, whatever that it's all worth it in the end to have that pervasive, creative approach to family life. Yeah. And that's something I'm not good at. And I love hearing that because I love hearing how people are different and that we embrace what we're good at. So these are some of the things that we're loving. But like Kelly said, we absolutely want to hear from and be inspired by what you all have going on in your lives that are really a strong value for you in your homemaking endeavors. So Kelly, if people want to follow up with you, remind us where we can find you all around the web. Well, of course you can find me in the Sorta Awesome Hangout. If you're not already there or the Sorta Awesome Superstars group, you can find me there. But I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at Kelly Gordon MN from Minnesota. And you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash lovewellblog. Okay. And you can find me on social media at Sorta Awesome Meg. The show is on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. You can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash sort of awesome. You guys, thanks so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. 
Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer, and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer, and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.